the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode 231 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and today I'm going to continue on with my top 20 uh, and I'm going to do numbers 13 through 11. So I'm going to do three more teams in my top 20, talk about them in depth, and then we will move on and get on to Friday's video. I missed yesterday, had a doctor's appointment, so I couldn't put this out yesterday, but I wanted to get it out today because I got to get this top 20 out here before the season starts because we're now just weeks away here, and it, it sounds great to say that. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, share the crap out of the podcast with your friends, your family, your loved ones, everyone that is important to you, and as always, you can go to laxfactor.com support us that way you can get swag related to the podcast you can watch all of our videos there and the audio version we have other non-lax factor t-shirts that you can get here so you can support the channel by buying some swag but let's stop all the chatter and let's get right into this here and i want to talk about my number 13 team in 2023 and that is denver they were nine and six last year Four and one in the Big East. They lost to Villanova in the Big East semis to get themselves bounced from consideration for the NCAA tournament. Denver was a team last season that fell victim to a new team, uh, or, or to a new term that I'm coining here called schedule creep. And what that means is that some of the games you scheduled that would traditionally be wins ended up turning into more losses than expected due to your own issues mixed with the team simply being better than expected. In 2022, Denver was more than likely hoping to come out of their top four non-conference matchups versus Duke, UNC, Yale, and Ohio State with two wins and two losses. I figure they probably think, hey, this is a, a gauntlet period in our schedule here, but we should be able to pull out two wins, two losses. In a better world, they'd be three and one, but instead they went one and three dropping games to Duke, UNC, and Yale, and they did end up eking out a win over Ohio State, which was a good quality win for them. But then Jacksonville's success turned ugly for Denver, Denver as Jacksonville dealt them an unexpected loss, which put them at 5-5 five and five after their loss to Georgetown. So here they're 10 games in, and they're sitting at 5-5. Five and five. They would have been hoping to sit at 6-4, and four, if not better, and seven and three, but like I said, schedule creep. Some of the teams that you have on that schedule, namely here, Jacksonville, are a little better than you thought. You end up doing poorly in your brutal non-conference stretch, and now you're sitting at five and five after you lose to conference foe Georgetown. Now, sure, they did get to nine and five prior to entering the Big East semis, and then at that point, you win your tournament and you get in. So they still had a shot at getting into the NCAA tournament, but that momentum, it wasn't enough to carry them to victory against a very scrappy, they love to play the upset, uh, um, the, the causer of the upset, Villanova, and uh, they dropped him by a goal to end Denver season. Gone are Jack Hanna, Alex Simmons, and Ted Sullivan. Simmons, uh, the Pio's third leading scorer a year ago, he took his talents to Syracuse, which I'm delighted about. 45 points he put up last year, and now he'll be on attack for Syracuse based on what we understand. And then Hannah Sullivan, uh, they were second and fourth leading scorers, respectively. They both were lost to graduation. Hannah's doing well at the pro level. So Denver loses five of their top six scorers from a year ago, but they retain J.J. Silstrop, last season's leading scorer and most productive player that they had on the roster overall. Now, another bright spot here for Denver, and it could help 
overcome some of their offensive woes is Alex Stathakis is in fact back. His 56.4% winning percentage at the faceoff dot, that's going to be a big factor in helping Denver's offense find some sort of groove as they're trying to figure things out early. He's not necessarily a top five faceoff guy overall, but he's absolutely a top 10 guy and just based on winning more than other guys could easily work into that top five faceoff guys by the end of the year. Defensively, they bring back four long poles that started the bulk of the games last year between close defense and LSM, headlined by Malik Sparrow. Overall, they have a solid returning group of players on the defensive side of the ball, and they should be able to improve a little bit over last season. They were not a great defensive team last season, lower half but they should be able to eke themselves maybe up into the halves between Stathakis winning possessions at the dot and just having a veteran group of guys back. Now, Jack Thompson, he started 13 of 15 games last year in cage, put up a respectable 5-2-3 save percentage. He's not necessarily going to win you games, but after a shaky start through Denver's tough aspect of the you know the start starting part of their season the first half of their season he ended up ended kind of settling nicely once they got into big east play started rattling off some wins he was able to beef that save percentage up a little bit but for him it's going to be key he's going to have to be more consistent and play a little bit better in those games that are tougher these non-conference games against the dukes the uncs he's going to have to be a little bit more consistent if the defense in front of him can play better than last year though and they have enough experience returning because they do have enough experience returning you know he should be a little bit better i'd li- i like him to stay somewhere near where he was last season in the 52 to 53 space but if that defense kind of stands up and plays a little bit tougher then he could be looking at 54 to 55 percent the only problem with that theory is offensively what are they going to do if they're not putting up goals and they're just giving the ball back to the other team's offense over and over again that that may hurt his save percentage but we'll see but i do like the defense in front of him overall key returners jj silstrap 30 goals, 18 helpers, 48 points off 33% shooting. So he was, like I said, their most consistent player overall. Carried the ball a lot, only committed 17 turnovers, true to what what, uh, Tierney wants his guys to do. Uh, Then, like I said, they lost five other guys that were right behind Silstrap, but enter transfer Richie Connell, 14 goals, four helpers, 18 points, 37.8% shooting. Connell is an incredible finisher, can play both attack and midfield for you as needed, uh, can play off ball, could carry the rock a little bit as well. So Connell could be huge this season in trying to help make up for a lot of those losses. Uh, Michael Lambert, Lampert, 7-9 and nine last year. Alex Stathakis, as I said, a 5-6-4 uh, face-off percentage, 111 GBs, three goals and an assist with only seven turnovers. I, I like to track the turnovers that face-off guys commits because that's, in essence, them giving a face-off back to the other team. Malik Sparrow, LSM, uh, an incredible player, rangy player, can get up and down the field, 19 cost turnovers, 28 GBs and an assist. A.J. Mercurio is back at D, close D, 12 cost turnovers, 19 GBs, a goal and a helper. Jack DiBened, uh, this one I always screw up, but it's Jack DiBenedetto, uh, 11 cost turnover, 16 GBs. Uh, Jake Edinger is back at SA, short stick D mid. He had a goal and four assists last year, getting up and down the field. And then Adam Hanglin's also back at D. In the end, there's a ton of question marks offensively that Denver's going to have to answer. And one thing that I think I'll probably do before I officially put my vote in is uh, now that I'm going through and I'm doing a deep dive into all of these teams, into what they have coming back, there's a couple of teams that I may bump further down my list. I try to always, I think the, the first poll above all other polls 
kind of has to factor in last season's success, but there's a couple of teams here that I have in the, you know, the upper part, you know, between 20 and 11 that I think probably I end up having to bump down a little bit due to what they lost. But either way, if uh, I think of all the teams that I've ranked thus far that we've talked about so far, these guys are very likely to fall out of the top 20 specifically over the first few weeks of the season. But then once they figure out who they are offensively, I like their chances of maybe ending the season at the bottom half of the top 20 here, you know, and maybe even the bottom of the top 20 in the 20 to 18 region or so overall, just because you got a legendary coach and you still have talent, but they did lose a lot of veteran players last year, especially on the offensive side. And that has to hurt them a little bit. All right. My next team that I want to talk about is my number 12 team. And I'm going to caveat this before I even get into it. This is the one pick that I made blindly when I first put my list together before I had dug deep into the rosters. And as I have dug deep into the rosters, Brown is probably, before I turn in my poll officially uh, for the IL media poll, Brown I'm probably going to bump way down that list, maybe even out of the top 20. And let me explain why I probably won't bump them out of the top 20, but they're probably going to get dropped to my 1920 spot overall. But right now, for the sake of just sticking with what I had, I'm putting them in at 12 because of the success they had last year. But I'll go through why I don't think that's going to happen, at least not early this upcoming season. They were a big surprise last year. They started out 5-1 and one with their only loss coming at the hands of UNC, but then they hit a three-game skid, losing to Harvard, UMass, Princeton, and they dropped to 5-4 and four at that point. They then had a, cha- a kind of come-to-Jesus moment and rattled off six straight wins to end the regular season. They dropped Penn, Yale, Cornell, Bryant, Dartmouth over that stretch and a couple of good teams in there. Uh, they, that got them into the Ivy League tournament where they lost to Penn in a rematch, but that was enough to get them into the NCAA tournament. Now, did they lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament? Yes. But did they play a respectable game and simply lost to a very good Virginia team that was out for blood? Also, yes. Now, Brown in 2022, they played blue-collar lacrosse, which a lot of the Ivy League teams play despite their Ivy League roots. People always think it's kind of an oxymoron calling an Ivy League team blue-collar, but I'm telling you, the Ivy League teams play tough Old school, fight tooth and nail lacrosse. Very physical. Uh, they're willing to get up and down the field and, and run and gun when they have to. But anyway, they are they, they were very physical on defense last year, and they weren't afraid to go blow for blow offensively. An example of that, and it, or at least an example of their ability to run and gun, they scored 20 goals in their seven-goal win over a very good Yale in Providence. An example of their defensive toughness, they held national runner-up Cornell to just eight goals in their road win over the Big Red on April 23rd. The best way to describe Brown, they play gritty lacrosse. Now, Devin McLean is back to lead this offense. McLean had a breakout year in 2022, putting up 47 goals with 24 helpers. He's quick, shifty, and has a knack for putting the rock in the back of the net. Exactly what coaches like. Coaches would love to clone the kid. The issue is, after losing both Cook and Antonelli to graduation, they may actually wish they could clone Cook. Maybe they got to get in touch with some of these Brown researchers to see what they can do. Now, my new favorite player for Brown, Trevor Yaboa Cody, the short stick D mid. He put up seven goals with six helpers last season, took the ball away five times, picked up 27 ground balls. He only had two games all year that he didn't factor in some manner in the stat book. Had a goal and an assist and five ground balls in a hell of a game against uh, 
Penn in Brown's regular season 12-10 win over Penn. He also uh, caused a turnover in that game. I think he'll have another solid year in 2023, and his name is just dope as hell. Um, The big issue I see with this team is they lost all three starting close defenders, Andrew Geppert, Luke Gatos, and uh, Silas Newsom, all gone bye-bye, no longer with the team. And uh, the three of them, between them, started all but one game in 2023 for Brown. Now, Colin Hart is the only long pole returning with, like, real experience and a bunch of playing time, and they even graduated their LSM. So defensively, this team goes from being gritty and tough on defense to losing the bulk of that that defense, and that's going to hurt them badly. And that's why, even though I have them at 12 on this version of the poll, by the time I hand that in, and I'll update everybody every time I put one out, I'll throw a blog post up, uh, I'm probably going to change it and drop these guys down this list. But have no fear, because they do have the people's goalie returning. Connor Theriault, he stopped 53.7% of the shots he faced last year and posted a 9-6 and record playing in the Ivy. That's impressive. Despite those big numbers, though, and the fact that he's coming back, I don't expect him to have the success that he had in 2022 due to the fact he has a very inexperienced group of defenders in front of him. I don't think he'll dip below 50% or anything crazy like that. I'm not looking for a huge shift in his save percentage, but Brown's going to have to be extra scrappy and tough in 2023 to keep pace with last year's success. As I said, key returners, McLean, the only big-time returner on offense here, 47-24 and 24 last year, excellent shooter, 33.6%. Griffin King at mid was 13-7. and seven. Trevor Glavin at attack, 8-8. Eight and eight. Jack Kelly, another mid, 6-7. Uh, and seven. Matthew Gunty at the faceoff dot, 5-1-6 save percentage, so he's serviceable. And like I said, I only talk about faceoff guys if you're above 50%. If you're not, you know, that's you're, it's not worthy of being spoken of, unless I'm speaking of it as a weakness or something you have to overcome to to improve. And and Gunty would have to improve with the defense that Brown's putting on the field in order for them to, to be solid. I believe they may have gotten a really good freshman in uh, at the, you know to help with faceoff uh, duties, Colin Hart, uh, like I said, is one of the returning defenders. Ten cost turnovers, twenty eight GBs, and three goals, so he can get up the field. And then you got Theriault and Cage. I think they may have some non uh, some non conference success early. So I think maybe you know being in the top twenty, if they end up being ranked, they might be able to retain that for the first couple of games. But I, as I work through this list, like I said. This is the team that is probably out of everyone I have ranked so far. They are the most likely to fall out of the top 20 and not finish in the top 20. They certainly won't finish higher than where I have them sitting here at number 13, but they've lost too much talent defensively, and I just don't think they're going to be able to to repeat that in-league success that they had last year. What did they go? Um, yeah, they went 4-2 and two in the Ivy last year. I do not think with what the Ivy has coming back, I don't think they're going to be able to pull that off again. Seven or eight wins, honestly, is what I'm thinking, and that would put them easily out of the top 20 by the season's end. And like I said, I will probably adjust this poll before I I officially submit it for the media poll. The next team, all right, one thing I did want to talk about. We have a a trio of players named USA Lacrosse Division I Men's Preseason All-Americans. That helps. McLean and Theriot picked up spots in the third team with Yeboah Cody garnering honorable mention options uh, for himself. So they do have some guys that are getting national recognition, but the guys that they lost defensively I think are really going to hurt them. And my next team, number 11, I want to talk about Ohio State, 10 and 6 overall, 3 and 2 in the big. I really like what I see on paper 
for Ohio State. Jack Myers, I think, is one of the best five attackmen in the country, in my humble or not-so-humble opinion. And the addition of LIU transfer Richie LaCalandra is going to go a long ways in making sure Ohio State doesn't lose a lot of that steam that they had last year offensively. They were a good offensive steam, uh, team. Uh, forget that they only lost Jackson Reed in terms of offensive production. Now, losing Reed is rough, but and he'll actually be tough to replace. But the list of guys coming back, it includes Kobe Smith, 47 points last year. Jason Knox, an incredible player, 27 points last year. Scott White, 15 points. Throw in La Calandra's 70 points at LIU last season. Uh, and then they also add transfer midfielder Kyle Borda from Fairfield, 37 points. And another transferred attack, Kyle Lewis from Lynchburg, D3, 94 points. And I think Ohio State's going to be just fine offensively in 2023. And they may even improve a, a touch. At first I saw, oh, shit, Jackson Reed's gone. That's going to hurt them for damn sure. But then I saw some of the transfer that transfers they had come in. Those guys add immediate experience, and then all of them fairly high-level players as well. So I think that you're looking at an Ohio State offense that could actually be a little bit more deadly than they were last year. Now, what I'm most excited overall about this team is that what they bring back on defense. And to be sure, they weren't a great defensive team last year. I said the same thing about Denver, but they bring back – just about everybody in terms of bringing back a solid group of defenders, long poles, short stick D mids. They've got army transfer, Marcus Hudgens. I've heard weirdness about whether or not he'll be eligible. I'm just assuming he's going to be. And as long as he is, they're going to be a very solid defensive team. Not very solid, but they should hang. They were a little bit below half the halfway mark. I think they were ranked, what, 37th in goals against last year. Hell, if they can get themselves up to 35, 33, even 30, uh, in terms of defensive, uh, uh, in terms of goals against average, that's going to go a long ways for improving that ten and six record to maybe eleven and five, something like that. They play a tough schedule, but I really like this team and the makeup of this team. Uh, let's see here. Skyler Walland and Caton Johnson are both back in cage. Walland finished the season as a starter, but Johnson got some early starts and then came in later. I think Walland had gotten injured, and Johnson came in and played decent uh, to spell him. Uh, but Walland was definitely the better goalie statistically by roughly about 5% or so. Walland was above 50%, and uh, Johnson was not. Johnson, the transfer from – where did Caton Johnson come from? North Carolina? Got beat out by um, – Krieg at North Carolina. Key returners, Jack Myers, 38 and 45 last year, 83 points off 35.2% shooting. This dude can do it all. Kobe Smith is back, 41 and 6 last year. Jason Knox was 24 and 3. Scott White, 12 and 3. Like I said, La Calandra, 32 and 38. So he's a 50 50 guy. Kyle Lewis, the Lynchburg transfer, 31 and 63. Capable of quarterbacking an offense is what those stats tell me. You might see him be a little bit more 50 50 at the D1 level, though, I would assume. Uh, defender, Steven Zupasic. I don't even know how to pronounce that. That's I, I did really good in the last episode with names. This one, I'm going to have a couple that I F up. 13 cause turnovers. Uh, Greg Langermeyer at short stick D mid, 11 cause turnovers. Bobby Van Buren's back. Uh, Jacob Snyder's back. And then, like I said, Skyler Wallen and Cage was the better of the two goalies last year. Six and four as a starter with a 5-2-5 save percentage. Now, all in all, I think Ohio State has a chance at finishing right around where I'm putting them here. I think that this is probably a legit spot, and I think this is one of the, so far, probably the most well-placed of the rankings I have. But... I think they start with two very winnable games versus Air Force and Cleveland State before taking on North Carolina, who they put the big hurt on last year. 
uh, and I think they could probably do that again. I think North Carolina's probably a little bit down here and have to figure things some things out, whereas Ohio State's coming in with a bunch of guys that are all familiar with each other and know the system, and I think they're going to be a little bit ahead of Carolina in that early season, season matchup. But make no mistake, their non-conference schedule is brutal. After two gimme games, they have Carolina at home, Virginia at a neutral site in Florida, uh, Cornell at home, and then Notre Dame in South Bend before playing another easy game against Detroit Mercy, and then they have Denver on the road, and then they get into the Big Ten schedule. So even though I think this team's going to be better in 2023, winning 10 games is by no means guaranteed. In fact, I think getting to eight or nine wins uh, with their schedule would be a solid accomplishment. And they'll need to upset some big boys to have a chance at the NCAA tournament. If there was ever a year that Ohio State could win the Big Ten, so I say that and I say, hey, eight or nine wins with the schedule, you know, should be, oh, I got an itchy nose. Eight or nine wins with the schedule should be solid for them. But I still think also, if there was ever a year that, you know, we're not sure who's 100% going to win the Big Ten, like last year, I was sure Maryland was going undefeated uh, in Big Ten play. And I was sure they were going to win the Big Ten tournament. If there was ever a year where I'm not sure, it's this year. And Penn State, Hopkins, and Michigan, they should all be W's for Ohio State. And that leaves Rutgers and Maryland as their big tests. Maryland has a lot of question marks on the offensive side of the ball. And Rutgers, that game, I think Rutgers is going to be good. But that game could still go either way. So, I don't know. Ohio State, I, I like where I put them, but you could see Ohio State hop into the top 10. You could see Ohio State maybe end up even being one of the top seven, top five teams in the country before the season's end, just depending on how they handle their non-conference tilt. They can pull some upsets there and then pull an upset over either Maryland or Rutgers and handle the rest of their, their Big Ten business. They could be sitting pretty by the season's end and going into the NCAA uh, tournament or in, into the Big Ten tournament and maybe getting into the NCAA tournament. So that's it. I'm going to stop it there. I am going to come back tomorrow and do a film review video in the morning, and then I'll be back on Sunday to do the big show. Sunday show, going to be a big one. I'm going to start with 10, and I'm going to get us all the way down to 6. And then next Wednesday show, I'm going to go with 5 all the way down. So by middle of next week, I'll have my top 20 fully revealed and really – this is kind of acting as the team previews for all of the teams that are in the top 20 because I, I decided, screw it, let's go hard and let's just cover these teams in a little bit more depth than I had planned on originally. Uh, and it seems to be faring well with the viewers as well, so I'll do that again. So that's it for today. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. As I said, you can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way, get a t-shirt, watch the videos there. You know, just kind of watch the videos through there instead of everywhere else. And uh, I will be back tomorrow morning with a film review video. And, uh, and I'll be back Sunday with the full episode. So that's it. Hoost is out. The Lax Factor Podcast.